0: Edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday evening, September 24th, I believe. Yes, indeed. 2019. As always, I'm your host Jamal Hayden here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. Kicking off the show, the one, the only, the talented, the lovely Debbie Harry and Blondie with One Way or Another. We got a big show to get to. We've got NFL. We've got uh, as week three is in the books. Um, after last night's clunker of a Monday night game, get to that a little bit later, um, and we'll look at uh, the wild card. In Major League Baseball as it would appear Barring a miracle The Mets are done After last night's clunker Against the terrible Marlins Although if you're a Mets fan Hardly a surprise um, But we we'll begin with the NFL In week 3 And we'll start with my lines. And the reason I chose that track To kick the show off uh, Is one way or another lines Lions have gotten it done The last two weeks We talked last week About the game against the Chargers it Wasn't pretty Ugly But you'll take it It's a game that for years, the Lions had figured out a way to lose. They managed to win that game, and then this past week against the Eagles was uh, really a lot of the more the same. Um, look, I understand the Eagles were banged up. They're missing Alshon Jeffrey. They were missing Deshaun Jackson. Um, you have you ever heard my show before? And you've ever heard me talk about Deshaun Jackson? You know my feelings on him, and that is one trick pony. So, while yes. He uh, can be a deep threat at times, uh, highly overrated in my mind. But nevertheless, still a weapon. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, a much bigger missing piece for them than Deshaun Jackson, though. But certainly helped the lines cause that neither of those guys were playing. Um, having said that, they still had the quarterback, Carson Wentz. Um, they still had Aguilar. They still had Zach Ertz. Uh, they still had uh, Sanders, the running back. Still had Sproles. Still have Jordan Howard, so you know. Listen, teams are banged up all the time, so I don't want to hear any excuses that uh, you know. Oh well, they didn't have Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson. Of course, it helps, but that, that's that's life in the NFL. Next man up. Every team says it now, uh, and that's how it has to be. Um, but again, this game that the Lions won against the Eagles, first of all, it was in Philly on the road, right? Uh, That's a game the Lions always figure out a way to lose And they tried Listen, they tried We'll get to that a little bit later As far as some coaching decisions that I was not thrilled with Very Jim Caldwell-esque, as a matter of fact But we've seen this from Patricia So, um, unfortunately, I, I think we're in for more of the same When it comes to whether or not you want to put the hammer down And take a team out of it Or you want to play not to lose rather than play to win And the interesting thing is, last week against San Diego, when they got the ball back and had a chance to run the clock out on a third and, like, three, or third and two, rather than run the ball, which they can't do so far, right, but play it safe and kind of hope against hope you're going to get the first down. When a first down wins you the game, they went play action, bootleg, I talked about it on last week's show, got the first down, game over. Well... In Sunday's game against the Eagles, when the Lions were up 27-17, get the ball back, good punt return by Jamal Agnew, get the ball midfield. This is the time to put the hammer down. Score a touchdown. Take the Eagles out of it. You know, the surly Eagles fans were already all annoyed and booing and Lions defense had been doing a pretty good job Other than a couple of missed tackles On the one Aguilar touchdown Put the hammer down what do the what Lions come out and do They go run run pass Punt the ball away Ridiculous Again Matthew Stafford's your best player Matt Patricia And Darryl Bevel Put the ball in his hands He's got all kinds of weapons Knock it off with the run run pass Nonsense And then later in the game, after the Lions get a huge fourth down stop from their defense, again, chance to put the hammer down and go score a touchdown. They play for the field goal, get the field goal blocked. Special teams, again, proving to be a major issue. Now, to be fair, the Lions did have a 100-yard kickoff returned by Jamal Agnew, their first possession, quote-unquote, of the game. I'll give Patricia credit for this. Lions won the toss, deferred, kicked off Eagles came down the field Lions defense bowed up, held them to a field goal To me, I've said this a million times That's a win I don't care if the other team scores a field goal on its first possession Not a big deal There's so much more time left in the game If you have a good offense And you're going to start with the ball in the second half And you hold the the other team To a field goal on their first possession That is a win So ensuing kickoff, Jamal Agnew takes it 100 yards for a touchdown. And again, I got to be fair here. I criticize Patricia a lot. Give him credit. After Agnew was benched last week because he he fumbled the ball or he muffed the ball a couple of times against the Chargers. Rather than bury the kid, Patricia said, look, we still believe in him. The kid's a hard worker. He's going to work through this. Said he had a great week of practice. And guess what? Came out. First time he touched the ball, 100 yards to the house for a touchdown. And again, you know, talk about this all the time. Benching a guy in a game after a mistake, it's not there. I'm not saying you got to make the guy look like a fool. And you don't have to embarrass him in the media. And you don't you want to browbeat the guy. But you need to send a message sometimes that certain play is not to be tolerated. That's all. It's very simple. It doesn't have to be a federal case. That's what coaching is You make a mistake You move on And you get better from it These guys are human We get it But you keep tolerating The same stuff Over and over again Guys are never going to improve I.e. the Mets With Robinson Cano When he lazily jogs To first base all the time And then you wonder Why it costs you games When all you had to do Is sit him down The first time So anyway So that was huge so special teams did help the lines there. As I mentioned, the 24-yard punt return should have helped them score again. Bevel and Patricia decided to get real conservative there with the run, run, pass sequence, lame. But when Stafford needed a big drive, he got him one. And then listen, my one hope about the going conservative here late in the game, particularly after the first fourth down stop. Was that They felt like The Eagles offense could not move the ball And score on them Now they were expecting to kick a field goal And be up 6 which I hate Because that of course sets you up perfectly to lose by 1 But I'm hoping That it's more a case of They felt like They can't score a touchdown on our defense So rather than Oh we don't trust Stafford of the offense because I mean that's just silly I mean you trusted them last week against San Diego why wouldn't you trust them this week against the Eagles right now they get the field goal blocked Eagles get the ball at their own fifth at the at their own 50 at the 50 they move into it looked like field goal range but then Hallelujah the lines actually get a call and it was a, it was the right call on a fourth and 15 a fourth and 10, or no, 4th and 5 They throw to Darren Sproles He clearly pushes off Tavon Wilson Catches the ball, instead gets Called back, offensive interference 10 yard penalty, now it's 4th and 15 Wentz goes deep Rashawn Melvin, perfect coverage, knocks the ball away From Arsega Whiteside The rookie out of Stanford Game over, pretty much, Lions get the ball back Take a knee, and that's that So again, I thought for sure When the Lions had a chance to put this game away And didn't, they was going to come back to bite them And it didn't In years past, it would have Also got to give props to Marvin Jones Wide receiver from the Lions Had a fantastic game And Tracy Walker, the second year safety Who I also made fun of last year when the Lions drafted him Had a nice game Lions coaching staff on defense Good job, scheming up to double team Zach Ertz, take him away in the second half Of that game and also, kudos to Lions offensive line No sacks And the Eagles have a good front And plus they blitzed a ton And Stafford carved them up when they blitzed Against old friend Jim Schwartz Now the run game is still an issue 36 yards on 20 carries is laughable For on Johnson He did have the one yard touchdown Plunge over the top and they had the one 44 yard run from J.D. McKissick on on the reverse, which, by the way, nice, nice, very nice, creative play call. They had the play call to him. You know, Bello knows him well from their days together in Seattle. They had the nice play call to him that should have sealed the game against Arizona. But then, but for the the, the idiotic timeout right before the snap, um, he touched the ball once. He had 44 yards. Could we figure out another, a few other ways to get him the ball, please? <laughs> I mean, I understand you've got Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Zach, and uh, T.J. Hawkinson, who, by the way, had a very Eric Ebron-esque day, unfortunately. False start penalty, uh, had a, a touchdown catch ripped out of his hands by a D-back, which drives me nuts. I mean, you're 6'5", 250. Hold on to the ball, please. And then he also had a touchdown catch negated by the fact that he stepped out of bounds in the back of the end zone first. Now, he did kind of get shoved by the D-back. Uh, But still, it has to display better field awareness there. Now, the line scored a touchdown on that sequence anyway, so it's not... But, look, if that were Eric Ebron, I'd be going crazy. So, I'm not giving up on TJ Hawkinson. I'm just pointing out that he had a rough game. And after the first, you know, breakthrough game against Arizona, it's been very quiet these last two. Now, I understand, look, schemes change based on opponent. I get it. You know, you're not going to expect him to have five catches for 100 yards and a touchdown every game. Obviously, it's not realistic. All right, moving on. Giants Tampa Bay. Game of the day, probably. It was the four o'clock game. Daniel Jones making his first career start for the Giants and uh, got off to a horrendous start. Giants defense. Absolutely atrocious in the first half Most notably Janoris Jenkins And James Bechter line, uh, Giants defensive coordinator um, Enough with Thinking Janoris Jenkins is a top flight corner He's awful I mean uh, listen I understand Mike Evans is good He's not great He's a big lumbering lummox Of a receiver You can't be getting letting that guy run by you If you're Janoris Jenkins Which Mike Evans did at will I mean to the tune of 190 yards And three touchdowns You know it's one thing to lose jump balls To Mike Evans who's 6'5 and 235 pounds I understand that And Janoris Jenkins is maybe 5'11 But I mean he's letting Mike Evans Run right past him Plus when they caught balls In front of him or they were running plays To his side and he had chances to make Tackles for limited yardage Or no gains or yards for Or, or tackles for loss He missed tackles too you couldn't have a worse game than Janoris Jenkins. Mr. Big Mouth, too, another one of these guys who was chattering all week leading up to the Tampa Bay game. You know, this is a guy that had issues coming out of college and the Rams drafted him. Um, he is not a big-time player anymore. The Giants probably won't do this, but if I were the Giants, I would either look to trade him or just cut bait with him entirely and just go with the youth movement. But anyway, I digress Daniel Jones looked good In the first half But the Giants defense was awful Scores 28-10 Plus Tampa Bay missed uh, Field goal kicker missed a short kick Missed an extra point Could have been worse Then the second half Giants started to come alive Defense comes alive DeAndre Baker, the rookie out of Georgia Had really struggled the first couple of games of the year The corner looked very good in the second half Played well my man uh, O'Shane Jimenez The X-Man Kid out of Old Dominion The pass rusher Nice second half My boy Marcus Golden Mr. Effort player Made some nice plays Dexter Lawrence I think blocked a kick a rookie out of Clemson The rookie linebacker After uh, Ogletree got hurt I forget his name now Number 57 Had that big interception On Winston in the fourth quarter And Daniel Jones was Fantastic I mean, Evan. The play to Evan Engram, 75-yard touchdown. Sterling Shepard looked fantastic. Barkley, of course, looked great until he got hurt. Um, but Jones had the, the 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 touchdown run on the read option, which looks. Listen, he's not exactly Lamar Jackson, but he brings a dimension that Eli never was going to give you, which is he's a mobile quarterback. You can do some things with him. It's not going to be a massive major staple. Like the Ravens and Lamar Jackson But it's it's another look that the defense has to account for That you're never going to get with Eli And yeah, I know He fumbled a couple of times on sacks now, Listen, that's going to happen It's going to happen to any quarterback Frankly, potentially Especially the way Nate Solder played The left tackle Got used and abused all day by Shaq Barrett To the tune of four sacks and And, and numerous pressures Um... But Jones hung in there Kid's tough Looks unflappable And then he has You know The wherewithal And the vision For the game winning touchdown He sees that Tampa's in man They're at like The eight yard line Everybody You know Turns their backs to him The the Red Seas open up And he just walks You know Basically just runs it Right up to the middle For a touchdown Now Uh There was still plenty of time for Tampa to come back and win, and they really should have, because Jenkins gave up a 45-yard play to Mike Evans. And again, James Spector, at this point in the game, you've got to double-team Mike Evans. You've got to know that even if you think Janoris' Jenkins is good, which he's not, that today, that day was not his day. So please, can you give him some safety help over the top? No. They put him out on an island. He gives up a 45-yard play to Evans. Now, Bruce Arians, who I always have admired and thought was a good coach, decides to take a, go- a delay of game penalty. He claims on purpose because he thought his field goal kicker was better from farther away. Now the kick that missed, and you know I don't know if the same if he would have kicked it the same, but the field goal that missed was I think a 34 yarder, missed by, you know, I don't know, a yard. The point is, if it was five yards closer, that kick's good, and the Giants are crushed, and you're talking about how bad the defense is, and that yes, it was an encouraging debut for Daniel Jones, but the Giants' season is over because they're 0 3 and their defense stinks. So they did get a little lucky, and Bruce Arians, the head coach of Tampa Bay, certainly helped them out. But it's also, by the way, to me, another referendum on. Jameis Winston And I understand he had a big game But again, in the fourth quarter When Tampa Bay had a chance to put that game away through a huge interception Huge So, Giants saved their season They're 1-2 Look, I understand Dallas is 3-0 We'll get to all the undefeated teams in, in, A little later in the show uh, They haven't played anybody Redskins look like they're a mess and Philly, as I predicted Not as good as everybody thinks And I understand they've got some injuries But you know what, again, everybody has injuries I don't want to hear it So let's get to those 3-0 and teams And the 0-3 teams So the 3-0 and teams right now, you have the Cowboys Who've played no one I mean, yes, alright, they beat up on the Giants The first week, that was with Eli look Giants looked, looked, they looked like A completely different team with Daniel Jones Completely different. That offense was clicking, it was humming, the balls out on time. And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not hammering Eli. Eli had a great career, he's got two Super Bowl rings. Eli doesn't have to apologize to anybody about anything. But at some point, it's just time for a guy to go. And this was probably it. Guys don't play forever, except unless you have a deal with El Diablo like TB12 up there in New England. <laughs> so, but you could just tell. It looked like it was a, 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 an invigoration, a shot in the arm. And oftentimes, even if it's the same quarterback, teams in week one look largely different later in the season than they do in week one. So, Giants didn't look particularly good in week one against the Cowboys. Now, I'm not saying the Cowboys are bad. Listen, I picked the Cowboys to win the division. But I'm just saying, they haven't played anybody yet. They played the Cowboys. They played... Uh, the Redskins and the Dolphins. Redskins, I believe, are 0-3. And the Dolphins are 0-3. And the Giants have one win. So, I mean, they played nobody so far. Let Dallas actually play a real team first before we want to crown them, shall we? Yeah, the Redskins are 0-3. The Giants are one and two, and Miami Miami's 0-3 and 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 well on their way to being One of the worst teams in modern history Including the 0-16 Lions And the 0-16 Browns I mean they are an atrocity And by the way As bad as they were in that game Cowboys were only up 10-6 Late in the first half of that game And Miami had the ball in Dallas territory And Kenyon Drake Who's been a flat out bust for them By the way Other than one decent year a couple of years ago Fumbled the ball And that turned that whole game around And Miami went right in the tank And Dallas took advantage And then blew them out from there But Dallas was struggling with a wretched Miami Dolphins team Late in the first half at home Now, you could probably argue that Dallas probably took them a little lightly And that's understandable But again, let's let let Dallas actually play some teams here first, please So they're 3-0 Buffalo's 3-0 Same thing. Sorry, Buffalo hasn't played anybody. They played the Jets, the Giants, and the Bengals. The Bengals are 0-3. The Jets are 0-3. The Giants are 1-2. Now, the Bills might have a little something going because that defense is good. And Josh Allen, for as sort of scattershot as he is sometimes, the quarterback, looks like he's a pretty tough kid. And he's got talent and he can run. And he's got a big-time arm. Now, the receivers... You know, they've got nothing but little scat-back receivers over there. Zay Jones, eh. You know, I was very high on him coming out of college. He's not really lived up to the billing so far. And they just lost Devin Singletary for a little while, the rookie running back. they got to lean heavily on Frank Gore. I mean, the guy's an Angelus wonder, but at some point he's going to need some rest and you're going to need a, a guy who's more explosive like Singletary was. Now they've got T.J. Yeldon, who's not really that kind of player. So that's going to hurt them a little bit. But they got Dawson Knox, a rookie tight end at Ole Miss Involved in the the proceedings He had a touchdown against Cincy They played New England this week Of course, nobody's expecting them to win But if they're actually competitive I think you might have to start to take a second look And think that the Bills might be good San Francisco's 3-0 They also haven't played anyone and they also managed to overcome five turnovers against the Steelers last week because the Steelers were equally awful, including what should have been a game-sealing fumble by Garoppolo that the Steelers recovered, except for the fact that then James Conner gave the ball right back after, like, an eight-yard gain, too, no less. It's going to set up, like, a second and two, and Steelers are going to be in good shape. Um... But, okay, San Francisco's 3-0. Again, haven't really played anybody yet. Arizona's 0-2-1. They got smoked at home by Kyle Allen, backup quarterback on the Panthers, who looked phenomenal. Four touchdowns. And, of course, Kansas City looks like, you know, along with, of course, the Patriots, but we don't really talk about the Patriots much here. We'll get to them in a second, actually, about what a wonderful organization they are, Antonio Brown. Um, but Kansas City. I mean, <laughs> they they've scored 101 points already in three games. Mahomes thrown for 380 yards in all in all three. Whoever they put, I mean, you know, Damian Williams, The running back, was hurt. They put in McCall. You know, the, the Ty, Tyreek Hill was out. They put in McCall Hardman, the rookie from Georgia. He had a, a 80-yard touchdown or something. You know, I mean, they just they they could score from anywhere on the field. Mahomes can throw from every angle. It, I mean, they're, they're, they're a lot to handle And they've got a pass rush They've reshaped that defense They've gone to the 4-3 But, you know, they've got Frank Clark now And they still have uh, Jones in the middle And they still And who's the other They have another pretty good edge rusher over there Who's that? Alex Okafor Anyway, Chiefs are going to have a handful of lines Are going to play them this week It's in Detroit but Lions could be without their best corner, Darius Slade, which obviously is not a recipe for success against a team that throws the ball as well as the Chiefs. But Pittsburgh 0-3, they look like a mess. Obviously, Roethlisberger out for the year, not career-ending. And Mason Rudolph didn't look terrible against San Fran, but he didn't look great. He had the one big play to Juju Smith-Schuster, which was more of a, a run-and-catch You know, it was a 70-something yard touchdown, but it was more like a, you know, hit him on the sideline for about 15 yards, and then Schuster did the rest. But they've not got that running game going yet. Connor is not off to a good start. Steelers' defense is a little bit better against San Francisco. Although, you know, again, they force five turnovers. you force five turnovers in a game, you should win. Miami, we talked about. The Jets, I mean, please. Again, I, I feel bad for the Jets. I do. You know, I mean, you go back to preseason, Avery Williamson, one of their better defensive players and, and leaders on defense, the linebacker, gets hurt in a stupid preseason game. Darnold gets mono, <laughs> the quarterback. Uh, CJ Molsey, the, the big free agent linebacker they signed away from the Ravens, had a great first game, then of course he got he gets hurt. Trevor Simeon, who's you know, listen, he's no idea nobody's idea of a stud, but the Broncos were 13 and 11 in games that he had started for them. He's serviceable. If you put enough parts around him, you could at least be competitive. Then he gets hurt. Now they got Luke Falk back there with his pop gun arm, can barely throw the ball 15 yards down the field. Um. I, I mean, it's just it's a horror show. And Adam Gaze, I understand he's he's not playing with a full deck here, uh, and with his full complement of weapons, but. He, he, I mean from the opening press conference Through the preseason He, he just looks like It looks like a recipe for today He looks like Rich Kotite 2.0 Frankly Guy who had minimal success in Miami And then not a lot late And got fired And the Jets hired him And the same thing with Kotite Right? He had like one decent year in Philadelphia And the Jets hired him And we all know how that went And then the Redskins Another disaster I mean, last night was... I, I didn't stay up for the second half. I saw, I see they made the score somewhat respectable. I, I assume most of that was garbage time. Actually, my dad stayed up and watched it. He said uh, he thought Redskins were actually making the Bears sweat a little bit there at the end. But, I mean, 28-3 at half. You know, Case Keenum hits Jeremy Sprinkle for an easy first down. He drops it. Ball clangs off his hands. Very next play, of course, pick six. I, I mean... You know, they let Taylor Gabriel, who's, you know, he's a nice gadget player, third or fourth wide receiver. They let him have the game of his life. He had three touchdowns. Uh, they, they're a disaster. I don't see any way, you know, and, and listen, same thing with them, right? They're all for Darius Geis. He got hurt. You know, Case Keenum's there just to be a placeholder until Dwayne Haskins. They deem that he's ready. You know, I've long said that John Gruden, sorry, Jay Gruden, is not uh, the guy to lead that team. You know, and it's weird, because I've liked their drafts the last few years. You know, they they got half Alabama's team on defense, and yet the defense isn't any good. And it's Josh Norman, I've been saying this for four or five years now. I mean, probably the most overrated player in the league. And that was when he, I mean, back then he was at least decent. But he's been Nothing short of atrocious the last few years Again, he'll chirp though Josh Norman thinks Josh Norman is great Anybody get beat deep more than that guy? Alright So that's basically your Your look At the NFL here In week three I mean you've got well, actually, you know, let's talk about the Browns a little bit, shall we? Because they were very chirpy in the off season, And you've got, you know, the millennium of the century OBJ over there insisting on wearing his watch and, you know, won't shut up about his time with the Giants, won't just move on and go play. Now, again, when a guy's on the field, he gives you all he has. Got to give him credit for that. He does not take plays off. He does some stupid stuff, you know, on the sidelines, as we saw with the the Giants. But the guy gives you max effort, at least. And we know his talent is undeniable. But, you know, the Browns were supposed to be all the rage. And I picked them to be a wildcard team. And it's only three weeks in. So, you know, I know things look dire right now. And their schedule does not get any easier, by the way. They got a tough schedule these next four or five games. But that game Sunday night against the Rams was hideous. Tons of penalties again. Some dopey play calling, a fourth and nine draw, which I'll give Freddie Kitchens their first year head coach credit. He said that was a terrible call. So uh, I'll give him credit for that. At least he took it on his shoulders. Um you know, I understand David Njoku, the tight end who everybody thought was going to have a breakout year is now out for the year, but I'm sorry that offense with Landry and OBJ And Nick Chubb Should be better than it is And Baker Mayfield Although that offensive line scares me When Greg Robinson's just starting left tackle That's not great Texans had a big win Against the Chargers in LA Colts had a nice win against Atlanta, they're 2-1 Job- Jacoby Brissett, I told you guys in the preseason Did not think it was a death knell For the Colts that Andrew Luck retired. I think Brissette's a good player. They've got a good team around him. Jacksonville and Tennessee played Thursday night one of the more hideous. What? By the way, why does the NFL keep insisting on shoving that wretched game down the fans' throats on Thursday nights? I mean, between the two terrible uniforms that those teams have, to the just lackluster brand of football that is, and I understand everybody's all excited about Gardner Minshew, the rookie out of Washington State, because he's wacky, and he's got a wacky mustache, and whatever. Tennessee is atrocious. And Marcus Mariota is awful. Oh, Denver's also 0-3. You know, they played the Packers pretty tough, but... I think I said I no, I think I know. I said in the preseason. I, I they're in for a rough year. Chargers are one and two. They'll be fine. Team's good. They need to get a little healthy. They'll be okay. And look, NFC North Packers three and zero. Lions 2 0 1, Vikings 2 1. They beat up on the Hapless Raiders in Minnesota. No big deal. Nothing to see here. And the Bears beat up on a horrendous Redskins team last night. Good for them. Actually, one of the more impressive games of the week was the Saints going on the road in Seattle without Drew Brees and winning that game. And the score was not it was not nearly as close as the score. Russell Wilson put up a couple of touchdowns late in that game to make I mean they scored on the last, on an untimed down the last play of the game and the score was what 33-27 i mean that that new orleans did a number on seattle now seattle turnovers new orleans scored on a defensive touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown you get two of those in a game i think you, I, I i i would ima- imagine the statistics say you're going to win about 80% of the time so a little sloppy play from seattle uh, Alvin Kamara continues to just be One of the best players in the league um, I mean he—he—he—the he, 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 the guy's, He's not that big yet He's impossible to tackle He's great out of the backfield Catching the ball He's great running the ball He can run in between the tackles if you want him to He's just phenomenal He's got to be one of the top five players in the league And the rest of that division Tampa's one and two Atlanta's one and two Panthers one and two It's early All right. So I wanted to get to the Patriots Because I hammer them here On the show all the time And as I of course think Rightfully so So um, Michael Powell In the Times Today Actually wrote a very good article About how This whole Antonio Brown nonsense is really not the exception, but is the rule, and particularly when it applies to the Patriots. So, you know, the Patriots have long had a history of rehabilitating problem players, right? Go all the way back. You could go back to Randy Moss, go back to Corey Dillon, um... Or then they have guys that leave their team Like Patrick Chung, who then stink But then somehow when they come back to the Patriots They're good Deion Branch is another one of those guys But Deion Branch is not a bad citizen These other guys were bad citizens In some way, shape, or form Right, bad teammates, off-the-field issues What have you So, you know, when they cut when the Raiders cut Antonio Brown, I think I told you guys this story. I was at my club. We're sitting around having a couple of beers and some burgers for lunch, and the first thing out of my mouth was, "Oh, the Patriots are going to sign him." Fifteen minutes later, see the scroll across the TV: Patriots sign Antonio Brown. I mean, it was—it was—it wasn't even a question, right? And then all the stuff has come out afterwards, right? Him sending threatening texts. He's had two sexual assault uh, allegations against him by two different women, right? And then he essentially threatened one on a group text. She went to the NFL and said, listen, but while the first sexual assault case allegation was already out there, the Patriots let him play against the Dolphins. And then Bill Belichick wants to get angry at the media when they ask him questions and storm off the podium. So this is this is this great organization to pay. Of course, we all know about the owner in the offseason and his issues, right, with the massage parlor. So here we go in Michael Powell's column today in The Times. He goes... He writes, let's put aside the question of the man's salary beefs because he's mad now that he's not getting paid because the Patriots are voiding his signing bonus and so are the the Raiders. Um, But why do the Patriots sign Brown? Why do they let him play a game after learning the sexual assault allegations? He interviews a guy named Michael Leroy, professor of labor relations at the University of Illinois at (laughs) Urbana-Champaign. He adds the, are you kidding me, quote, And what does it say about the NFL that they didn't step in? Also true. And then Michael Powell writes, Allow me to offer a cheat sheet. It says nothing good at all about the team or the league. Here you go. The New England Patriots are one of the most successful franchises in the history of the game. True. Talking about record only here. And their successes come with three men at the helm. Owner Robert Kraft, Coach Bill Belichick, quarterback Tom Brady. With the smarmy sanctimony that is the particular preserve of this sport, the Patriots are wonderfully taken with their own mystique. They are not just successful. They are smarter, cleverer, and here you must stifle a laugh, more righteous. Asked to explain the so-called Patriot way Kraft in 2013 told the NFL Network It's about trying to collect a lot of good people Now Michael Powell writes The next paragraph By sheerest dumb chance The owner offered that explanation In the same year that Aaron Hernandez Patriots star tight end Was indicted on the first of multiple homicide counts Let's put that unsightly Business to the side too He writes In its ordinariness This chapter tells us more about the Patriots And the league Brown arrived at the Patriots' camp in September hauling a valise of unsightly laundry. He had spent nine years with the Steelers, the last season of which he worked diligently to alienate his coach and his teammates. Finally, the Steelers traded him to the Raiders. That included, by the way, the live tweeting or live Facebooking of a Mike Tomlin team meeting in the post-game locker room, right, a couple of years before. He passed his summer in strange fashion Reportedly burning his feet in a cryotherapy chamber okay. and Then filing a, a grievance against the NFL when, In which he demanded to wear his favorite mo- uh, helmet model Then he missed practices Then he reportedly called the team's general manager a cracker And then threatened to hit him And then the, ma- and then the, Ra- the Raiders had basically released him And then he actually, essentially asked for his release on social media And the Raiders, oblo- the Raiders obliged That same September day, Brown seemed to tumble forward into Clover, agreeing to a contract worth as much as $15 million, including a $9 million signing bonus with the Patriots. As this was the Patriots' way, the move played brilliantly with the press. They they are reporters proclaimed a super team. A few days later, Kraft, who this year had his own legal troubles when he was charged with getting what was both more and less than a massage in a parlor in Jupiter, Florida, very well written, by the way, Mr. Powell, chatted with Al Michaels of NBC, and near chortled at his team's brilliance So Michaels reported Kraft told me that when he broke the news to Tom Brady Brady initially said I'm 100% in Two minutes later Tom came back And said to Kraft I'm 1000% in Then he came back two minutes later and said I'm a million percent in Brady even offered to let Brown stay in his mansion With him and his wife Then he gave Brown a key to his personal gym Mm-hmm. Yep But they're the best So easy to root for I mean again And they wonder why Everybody outside of New England Hates them I I mean it's unbelievable And then again Last week When asked about The second round of allegations Belichick just stormed Off the podium He didn't want to hear it anymore And you know And I don't want to hear the excuse Well he's only the head coach No 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 no. No, He runs this whole thing Everybody knows it Anyway, just thought it was a good article. I'm glad somebody else finally said something about this uh, distasteful organization. Yes, they win all the time. can't blame them. you can't, can't dispute that. and I'm not saying every player on a team is a bad guy and every coach is a bad guy, certainly not. Um, but they they play the villain really easily. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Okay, we're back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. So let's take a little quick look at the college football picture, shall we? I mean, it's early. You know, they haven't even done the, uh, you know, the playoff rankings yet. But really, (laughs) at this point, uh, you know, the... uh, It's basically Clemson, Alabama Georgia, LSU So, South South, South And South Uh, I mean, those Those are the four best teams right now Georgia had a nice hard-fought Win against Notre Dame on Saturday LSU looks like a completely Different team now that they're actually throwing the ball With a modern offense Finally, LSU fans have been Begging for that for years Alabama is Alabama um, You know, Wisconsin blew out Michigan last week Some, some tough times over there in Ann Arbor Harbaugh's uh, uh, The honeymoon seems to be over for him His record against ranked teams is not very good um, You know, still a lot of season left but uh, they lose to Ohio State again in an embarrassing fashion. He's, uh, he's done. There's no way he's going to stay there. Uh, wouldn't be surprised at all to see him back in the pros. Where Actually, ironically, he may be a better fit, which is odd, but he's had more success in the pros than he's had in college. I mean, he got a team to a Super Bowl. Um, but for whatever reason, it just has not really panned out the way they'd wanted to there in Ann Arbor. For Horrible uh, Ohio State is 4-0 They haven't played anybody yet Oklahoma 3-0 haven't played anybody yet I mean a lot of these teams Auburn's 4-0 You know Wisconsin did hammer Michigan Michigan did not look all that good I mean Michigan barely beat Who did Michigan barely beat? Army? And they didn't look all that good Against the other team that they beat too I forget who it was Let's see Let me take a quick look No, oh, no, okay yeah, Middle Tennessee State, yeah, 40-21. I mean, that's it's not terrible, obviously, but it's not you know, a major blowout. And then, yeah, they barely beat Army by a field goal, and they got housed by Wisconsin 35-14. So, uh, again, I mean, they're going to play Rutgers this week and get healthy against them, no big deal. Then they got to play Iowa, who's ranked 14th. Then they're at Illinois, they're not any good. At Penn State, Penn State jury's still out on them, we'll see. Big game, Friday night, 8 o'clock, Fox Sports 1, Penn State and Maryland. And it's not in dopey Baltimore, no offense to Baltimore, I like Baltimore, but I'm saying it's actually in Maryland Stadium. So there can actually be a raucous atmosphere there. Student section was sold out months ago. They're shutting down the town of College Park hours before that game to deal with all the uh, additional traffic and parking that's going to be happening. Obviously, the biggest game in the Mike Locksley era. It's very early in the Mike Locksley era, but enormous game. Enormous game. So many subplots in this game. You've got James Franklin coming back, who was an assistant under Ralph, just like Mike was. Right. The whole Debbie Yao thing where he had a clause in his contract. He got a million dollar bonus if he wasn't the head coach by a certain time. Then it basically he basically essentially lobbied for Frank's job. Then Debbie Yao left. They brought in uh, I forget the guy's first name now, but Anderson, the former AD at Army, who was a disaster in Maryland. He fired Ralph after a nine and four year, in which they blew out East Carolina in the bowl game, brought in Randy Edsel. We all know how that worked out. And then Franklin has take, done Nothing but take shots at Maryland Ever since he left First at Vanderbilt And certainly since he's been back at Penn State Smug and And, 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 and cocky beyond belief I would love and, and listen, the Maryland-Penn State Rivalry goes back 30-40 years I mean, I remember Maryland could never get over the hump Against him, I mean, even in the boomer size And Stan Gelbaugh Frank Reich era losing heartbreaking games to them. When I was in college in 88 we tied them that was you know there was before there was overtime that was a, a massive we we basically viewed that as a win. But again that game was played in Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. So, huge huge game. Plus it's a big game for recruiting purposes right Maryland and and, and Pennsylvania are right next to each other. It's a massive game. Put it this way. Maryland beats Penn State Friday night. All uh, all's forgiven with the Temple game. Absolutely. All right, we'll wrap the show up with a little major league baseball. Look at the wild card. We said that, you know, look, basically the Mets are done. They they they're they're two out with whatever I mean, uh, two out. Their their magic, their tragic number, if you want to say, is two with uh, six games to go. So they'd have to win out. They would need basically Washington to essentially lose out. Um, listen, you got to give the Brewers credit. I understand they played no one, but they lost their best player, Christian Yelich, and they've gone like ten and eleven and two since he got hurt. Now again, thank you very much, Pittsburgh Pirates, for laying down and not even giving up, putting up a fight at all. Embarrassing. And I always respected Clint Hurdle. I, I would imagine between their thuggery and throwing it at, at guys all year, and then the horrendous way they finished the season, I would imagine it's got to be his last year. He's got to be done. Probably just time for a change. And this again, I think this is probably the best case scenario. Mets at least got to eighty one wins, so they're gonna be worse at worst case five hundred. Now you just want Alonzo to break Aaron Judge's rookie record of fifty two home runs. He's got fifty. Three and six games of the tall order. You'd like to see or at least see him tie it. And then Jacob DeGrom has basically put himself back in fine fashion to win the Cy Young again. So if he pitches really well, which I think he's pitching tomorrow. Um, and, and God forbid the Mets actually get him a win although again as we saw last year by his only 10 wins the wins voters now don't weigh that as heavily as they used to because wins are largely taken out of the pitcher's hands because of the way the bullpens are used now and less complete games all that stuff the way the game is played so let's say he throws another seven shutout innings he's going to win a Cy Young again so you'd like to see that you know, McNeil's had a great year J.D. Davis in a part-time role you know, Less than 400 at-bats, 20 home runs, 55 RBIs Hit 300, been great Nimmo looked great when he came back off the DL Rosario, big grand slam last night to get the Mets back in the game Then of course some Mickey Callaway boneheaded managing Of course, took the Mets right out of that game again After it was 6-0, got it to 6-4 He brings in Walker Lockett with the season on the line down Two runs where you have to keep the Marlins at six runs That's who he brings in So, but Rosario had a good year. We, I've talked about the, the young core. But, but look at it this way the Mets got a phenomenal year from Alonzo 50 home runs and 115 RBIs. And he's not an all or nothing guy. He hit about 265. McNeil gave you a phenomenal year hitting about 325 with 20 something home runs, 75 RBIs, batting leadoff a lot of the year. And playing all over the place Third base, second base, left field, right field And he missed about 15, 20 games too With injury Rosario gave you a nice year 15 home runs, about 70 RBIs Hitting about 280 Still looks lost at times at the plate And still There are times when there are plays in the field You think he should make, he doesn't make But again, he's only 23 He's probably just scratching the surface there's certainly room for improvement there Talked about J.D. Davis Nimmo Ramos had a good year So the Mets got good offensive years from Catcher, McNeil Alonzo Rosario J.D. Davis You could even throw Nimmo in there a little bit although he missed a lot of time So maybe not All their starters made all their starts. No one missed a start this year. All of them made all their starts. And they're still going to maybe win 84 games? That's not good. That does not, I'm sorry, I understand Diaz and Familiar were disasters this year. Sorry, that's not a ringing endorsement for the manager. Look, Alonzo's great. You can't expect him to hit 50 home runs every year <laughs> You know if he hits 35 Next year you're going to think it's a bad year And I understand in today's juiced ball era That 35 doesn't mean Today what it meant 10, 15, 20 years ago But 35 home runs Still a good year So think about that You got an amazing year from Alonzo He's going to be the hands down rookie of the year you're going, to get, you're going to have the rookie of the year You're going to have the potential Cy Young Award winner Great year from McNeil Great year from J.D. Davis, really good year from Rosario. Oh, pretty good year from Conforto, 31 home runs, 88 RBIs or whatever it is. Although he's not very clutch, but the numbers are good. And good, good hitting year from your catcher, 14 home runs, 75 or so RBIs and 290. And you're barely going to be over 500. Sorry, not good, not good enough. And all your starters made their starts. Not good enough. So, hopefully, this will be the impetus to get Callaway out of here. Again, I I wish the guy no ill will. He'll probably go be a pitching coach again somewhere else. That's fine. Seems like a nice enough guy, other than the one incident uh, with the reporter. But, again, go get me Joe Girardi in here now. And it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I was actually on a group text last night with a couple of buddies of Mets fans. And one guy mentioned Madden. You know what? I, I know everybody loves Joe Madden. I, I, I don't want Joe Madden here. He, he all his quirkiness. You know, you, Joe Madden's fine when you, when when he's on Tampa Bay, with low expectations and win 90 games with all his dopiness and his quirkiness. And He's a little smug. That that all 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 the, that would be. I could just see that playing really poorly here. Mets get up to a slow start, and things just go sour right out, right out of the gates. Now listen, I understand Girardi's a little prickly But again, Girardi to me He's already done it here And I understand the the Cubs won a World Series with Madden I get it By the way, some of that was in spite of him The way he ran and rolled his Chapman into the ground In that that World Series against the Indians And if it wasn't for that rain delay They'd probably lose that game Where Raja Davis hit the home run off of uh, Chapman So I, I don't want Joe Madden here I want Joe Girardi That's it And then maybe Edgardo Alfonso, former Met, who's the the single-A manager. But your wild-card picture in the NL, it looks like it's going to likely be the Brewers and the Nationals because the Cubs, their bullpen has been just as bad, if not worse, than the Mets. And even though the Nationals' bullpen is terrible, they've managed to out-hit how bad their bullpen is. Cardinals won the division Braves won the division Dodgers won the division Going away And the Brewers Listen They're kind of doing it With bubble gum And duct tape But you gotta give them credit They're getting it done here Down the stretch I see the Nationals Playing a double They already won the first game Today So the Mets are pretty much done Like I said Now in the American League We've got a very good Wild card Race still You have Cleveland, Oakland, and Tampa Bay. Three teams fighting for two spots within. So right now, Oakland's 94 and 62. Tampa Bay's 93 and 64. And Cleveland's 92 and 64. So that's about as tight as it could possibly be. Let's take a look at each team's schedule really quickly here. Oakland has down the stretch. Let's see. Sorry. Oh, by by the way, this ESPN.com is just the worst. I mean, they give me the schedule, but they give me games from July. How about you just give me the, the most recent games that are coming up, please? Here we go. So, ugh. Oakland's got a pretty easy schedule at Anaheim. Who's no, no? Oh, sorry, the Orange County Angels of Los Angeles and Anaheim, or whatever the hell they want to call themselves. They, they, they got two more against them, and then they got four at Seattle, and Seattle's wretched. So uh, certainly, on paper, looks like a very favorable schedule for Oakland here down the stretch. Now let's take a look at Tampa Bay's, and we'll take a look at. Uh, Cleveland's all right. Tampa has got to play. I mean, just the worst the way they put this stuff on the page here. Uh all right. Tampa Bay is home against the Yankees. The Yankees still want to win these games. So they want to have best record in home field against Astros. So those are not going to be easy games. And they're at Toronto. Toronto's awful. But those two Yankee, those two games against the Yankees could be tough. All right, now we go and we'll see what Cleveland's schedule looks like. Give me a second here. All right. Cleveland, I think, maybe plays Philly or something dopey like that. No, they already played Philly. Sorry. Who does Philly, uh, Cleveland play? I can just 17 clicks to figure out a schedule. Ridiculous. All right, Indians have. Oh, that's right. So they're they've got three at the White Sox, who aren't any good, and then three at Washington. So Washington likely will need those games. So those, you know, look, they're going to go against Corbin and Scherzer. Scherzer's not been great since he's come off the DL, by the way. But you know, he could give you a great game at any time. I, I mean, I would say right now the the A's definitely have the easiest schedule. Um, Tampa. With the two games against the Yankees could be problematic. And then Cleveland with those three games at Washington. It, listen, it very well looks like it's coming down to the last day of the year. Which, of course, Major League Baseball loves. And I don't blame them. Uh, and that's good. That's good for the game. It's exciting. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud. Check us out on Apple uh, Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. At JamalAboutSport and OS is the Twitter account. JamalAboutSports.com is the website. JamalAboutSports, the Facebook page. Until next week, peace out.